0: hello and welcome to the new rivers press podcast a program dedicated to new and emerging voices in the literary community today's episode is a recording of the new rivers press author reading from the 2022 awp conference featuring baudelaine pierre and rosaline bertolino reading from their new rivers press publications Well, welcome everyone to the Neuverse Press author reading for the 2022 AWP conference. Um, Today we are featuring two of our most recently published authors to read some selections from their recent published works. Um, Thank you again to Baudelain-Pierre and Rosaline Berlino for agreeing to read for us today. There will be time at the end for questions and answers if we have anything here. Um, So we'll see if we have some questions to talk about at the end of the chat here. Um, We will begin our readings today with Baudelain-Pierre the author of You May Have the Suitcase Now. She is a journalist, scholar, and novelist who writes about her native Haiti and her adopted US. Her essay, You May Have the Suitcase Now, which her collection is named, is the winner of the 2019 CDS Documentary Essay Prize. Please help me in welcoming Vaudelaine Pierre. Thank you. Good afternoon. Freedom.
1: They are singing in the back seat of the car as we drive through Marshall Avenue. Nobody choruses like them. A spectacle of tunes stifled and sifted through a sieve of yells, screams, and clatter the Oxford English Dictionary will not bother to confer with. But I may need to find out what, willis, what this Willis is about far away from the seafloor of Confederate categories of legitimate enjoyment. Behind the wheels, I picture Evola, epiglottis, pharynx, larynx, tongues, and tunes built out and piling up on the carpet's car. They are dancing too against their cumbersome belts. The windows are down. They slide 40 falsetto from treat you better to uptown funk and whatever else the radio in the car is giving away freely. Freely. The kids are raw. They jungle in their seats like death leaves mounted on the back of angry clouds who just got poked up and the car goes into Sakato and I am now an expired audience whose taste can't be trusted anymore. Throughout the outside they swell, throw their organs away, all the drivers and passersby must not miss the flow and the kids explode, thrill, thrill and sing and as loudly as they can with diamonds or just give me a reason like they weren't asking anyone's permission to charge freedom. What else do I need? There are no reason not to stifle bubble's freedom in the open air, like what are you sprinkle out in brilliant strikes you assume would come back to you. No one has yet declared ownership of the open air. But too much happiness leads the land to the butchery. I will have to refrain their energy. I restrain my enjoyment. The gentleman crossing the street right before us has his fingers suddenly clutched in a fist. Just last week, a driver pulled the trigger on another driver driving before him. The other driver was driving too slowly, too to appeal too, I suppose. Children screaming, shouting, singing, and feeling what they feel are no good signs. I pull up all the car windows, ask the kids to calm down. They scream, they shout, they sing, we live in a free country. And before I realize, Bangled banner has become struggled banner. I calm myself down. The new era is unparried, unflinching, and the old so unintimidated. Troys, freedom is the sickering you receive on your tongue in small, stiffing doses. Definitely not the appropriate moment for an allied definition of bondage in the US. I mean freedom. Well, forget it. Chip fails. The breed. All of them sat, their feet touching the curling flame of the burning woods. The weight of their body dropping to rest, fighting the flicking air every minute or so in in their repose after a long day of tripping. A rare getaway for brothers and sisters will make their practice to silently, peacefully decay. Elucidating one's heritage is the most distasteful gesture there is. Tanisha dropped herself against the background as dark as nights, as silences, as time so wide and so very dark you could walk a century and never able to separate nights from days. I didn't know I was to the breathing, Tanisha puffed, that I was made up to breathe, not that tonight the pigs should be fed lots cooked in rice and grass and beans. I shouldn't get used to breathing, and Tanisha keeps pushing the dark into the background, or depending on one's mirroring reflection the background into the dark. And Jehovah said, I am more peaceful than all of you put together. It's the librium, no, it's the adioxazine. It's very every time Megan is at the beach or by the lake or with family reunioning, I look at the photos and the beautiful sunset and the beautiful faces pop up on my screen to show what a beautiful life looks like to see myself tranquil and peaceful. How did I come to bargain COVID-19 for I can't breathe and out myself by the lake and feel the breeze and breathe better. See? And Maria said to Jabara, too bad you can't get get for sleepiness. Then we jump that she wishes we stop inducing to coma with those of Yancey, little brains who can't learn school shape. She needs to remember, she says, to tell her sister not to tell her schizophrenic or the little sister to a chair, or turn her stomach into the world's most largest drugstore to, but to let her work the works however miles away she wants as she is probably walking up to these regions of life one would rather forget or leave behind. It was as if Neri was saying to Jabbar, he's buying himself time and working hard to purchase one day the Alabama plantation. He was born on and sent pigs to his Dakota friend. And Ebony and Shaki and Darius take are throwing allegiance to peace, which then turn into another contest of another sort, like between Black here and Black from another planet. And Commerce says, Remember, I can't remember her name who wore her hair short and braided year round, ate for all day and clothed herself in flashy yellow, red, blue stripes, and so black and screaming, you went black enough. George, who was silently mixing his breathing into the fire cracking, said, it's the lineage. There isn't any other breed more peaceful, more accommodating, and more cooperative than those beloved of whom they killed the brother. And whose children, mothers, fathers, and sisters sit still in peace, in love, in hope. And so unapologetically pushing away anger and bitterness, or let's say apologetically bittering and raging peacefully within. you see a police restaurant, and a neighborhood grocery store catching fire in the midst of their raging, tranquilizing, medicated anger, and they still find a way to peace. It's the other camp, not us. In the campfire burning at their feet, large pieces of wood abruptly drop themselves each minute, burn themselves out slowly then remained in the shadows before kindly disappearing. Not at all in the rhythms of jubilant flames dancing across feet and farts and flames. More like an intimate, worrying anarchy where groups of all kinds are permitted and where the fickle of the first burning wood is peacefully carried across by other leftover wristed bodies breathing and breathing. It was my mother's land. It is mine now. I know it's yours. When I say the land in a language that is not home, I bite the tongue in my mouth as if the tongue in my mouth is not my tongue. I can never have too much ground to keep me standing, but can I promise not to stand my ground longer than necessary? It was Louverture was brought to down the intestines of 19th and early 20th centuries, and the lingerie lines of the 21st century era are as far as we know an unbounded sky. Every now and then, the genetic materials of a Hollywoodian precariat are coded, made in Nollywood. We wonder why it went so deep, so infinite. But in no wonder, the modern citizen takes the safety. But well, as far as biocitizenry is concerned, she is naturally the situation of her story, her beginnings are fully total, fully self-image, fully ten. And you know I think of home until as a child, I watched my mother leave the native land. Over the years, home has become palpable in transit, in dislocation, in the folds of time so that to conjure ground, I wish for a language released before it, which is the mother tongue, where it will have gone after it has left to become mine, right the moment it leaves to cut through you. As well, I appear to be what it according to prefigured analogies or from being off of my situation story, or is it that I am the infinite play of your own showing? They are old stace birds mounted into fresh ones, new languages standing on the back of old barracks, bowed lungs that manufacture themselves in dislocation, in sleep beyond all beyond. It is possible to conceive the tongue in my mouth as not my tongue. From Latin natura, nature says the cause of a thing, and from another nature cause, the thing taking from its root. Nature, so that to be born Haitian, for instance, is to innately possess the integral of the genia. But what is the genia if not a measurement, an observer who observes herself, observing herself, anywhere she is, the situation story, or at best a diffraction, the image of a thing as not the thing in itself, the thing in itself in decomposition, in vivo, in trance, in void, of in lost to be found. Repair as opposed to a crustacean or a plant, but a crustacean and a plant and a beped altogether, together, being here and from this and not from that, and in this way and in that other way, simply humans in manageable but expectant and just there blank from nature to culture to sociality to human samples, differentially coded from a certain elsewhere, there outside of the scope of measurement. Neither I nor you, neither this nor that. And here I stand in the semi-darkness end of your skyline. Occasionally, I am the enchanted newcomer catching up wonders in the singularity of holes. Now and again, more like your ends and your edges, I am sequentially clustered into profitables analogies and memberships. Almost all the time, you're either on one or the other side of your orbit, unlike Mary who says she doesn't speak any word languages. But her serotonin. I necessarily abide in you. But the two of you, yourself, and the radius of your circumpolar zone operate like a world of its own, a root of the sun's glare. You've never felt a thing. Fully footed, you are in the dark end of your own blackness, uncovering what it feels like to unglue yourself from your own image. Isn't it like seeing yourself dead? I live under TPS, first in the basement of 1693 Charles Avenue, then in a two-bedroom in the Highland Park neighborhood, and, and then in the column of the federal register in what feels like forever. It's impossible not to see myself exceeding the borderlines of my planetariums. I am under temporary protected status, in a shithole. What nature genea is there to see? Utter darkness, the bones of time I hold inside my chest to make time feel wanted. What I thought was your tongue turned out to be my homeland. Thank you for your attention.
0: All right, thank you, Baudelain. Um, Next, we will hear from Rosaline Bertolino, author of The Paper Demon and Other Stories. Rosaline Bertolino was born in San Francisco and raised just north of there. Her stories have most recently appeared in ORCA, New England Review, and Fail Better. And her awards include a Marin Arts Council Individual Artist Grant, an honorable mention for the James D. Felon Award, and finalist in the 2020 Press 53 Award for Short Fiction. She earned her MA in English and Creative Writing from San Francisco State University. She is currently living in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and she is a co-founder and host of Prose Cafe, a monthly reading series. She is at work in a novel, another collection of stories, and the paper Demon and Other Stories is her first book. Please welcome Rosaline Bertolino.
2: Thank you, Amber. And thank you so much, Butterling. That it's hard to follow you because your um, your sentences are so beautiful, and so is your voice. <laughs> Um, I'm going to read uh, the beginning of a sort of a abridged version of the beginning of a story. It's sort of in the middle of the book. It's called The Green Man. The Winnebago was Clark's idea, not Embers. The ideas were always his. In order to buy it, Clark insisted on top of the line. They'd had to sell their house, the only house they'd ever owned, the one they'd lived in for over 20 years and where she'd planted two roses near the garage. The motor home, Sabrina, as they came to call her, had cost almost $50,000 more than the house. Sabrina was black and silver and inside had a king-sized bed, a surround sound system, an HD TV, two leather recliners, and a stainless steel refrigerator. With Sabrina, Clark intended to do everything he wanted to do before he died. And what he wanted to do was travel the country. He wanted to sit by a lake and at the top of a mountain, along a river, in the desert, in the shade of a forest, resting at last beside the cold blue Pacific. The doctors advised against Clark's plans because of the plastic bags of fluid attached to various parts of him, with tubes going into his body and tubes coming out, the oxygen tanks, the pill bottles crowding the kitchen counter. Clark had, at most, a year to live. But in the end, the doctors gave in, as Ember had long ago. Who could deny a man with terminal cancer? Their first stop, Cedar Oak Lake, Oklahoma, was just a few miles from their former home. Clark's medical regimen took up much of their time. When they were free, they sat in lawn chairs facing the coppery water and smelled what the breeze blew, motor oil, fish bait, grilled hot dogs. Clark watched motorboats towing water skiers, and Ember watched Clark that guy doesn't know what he's doing. His turn was way too sharp. Clark took a slug of cola and belched. Didn't have a choice, probably. Waited too long, idiot. Ember shifted uneasily and her chair creaked. Did you ever water ski? What? No. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. I was thinking we should go over the finances. Her heart beat fast. She didn't want to have this conversation, but what would happen if they put it off too long? Already, she felt abandoned. Clark leaned close and took her hand in his large, rough paw. Now, with this beautiful view, you want to talk money, babe? Seriously? It's Jesus. It's all fine, all settled. Babe, when have I ever let you down? Tell me that. When? Never. Right? Right. Never. Just remember. Call the life insurance company first. Clark began to cough. It was like a storm or a seizure the way the coughs thundered out of him, leaving him pale and gasping, his bony chest heaving like water. Ember grabbed his Coke and held it to his mouth. Drink. They never discussed the coughs. There wasn't much point. Clark sipped cleared his throat, and spat next to his chair. He pointed at a white bird with stilt-like legs, waddling, waddling fastidiously in the shallows. Bird looks like the oncologist, don't you think, babe? I would say so, anyhow. That long beak and snooty attitude. Motorboat might run him over. Feathers everywhere. Ember stopped listening. The sky overhead so vast it felt as though it might crush them. Trust Clark, just trust him. He was kind of crazy, but after all, he'd saved her. He'd rescued her off the street 32 years ago, sat her beside him in his 18-wheeler, and bit by bit gotten her clean and sober. Life with him had been safe. All she'd ever needed to do was do what she was told. They'd been at the lake two months when his cancer accelerated, his entire body swelling, fingers so fat his wedding ring had to be sawed off. The skin of his legs split, his wrinkles vanished. Ember sat with one hand on where he'd once had a knee, certain he'd pull through. Clark was such a stubborn SOB. It seemed impossible to Ember that he would ever die, at least not before they finished his road trip. But near midnight, as Ember dozed in the chair beside the bed, Clark began to twitch. He made a noise, low and guttural. His brown eyes flashed neon green as if he'd filled with uranium. What the hell have you done with him? Amber screamed at the nurse. But he was already dead. His first betrayal, or rather the first she knew about. Because she had trusted him to handle everything, always. That had been their bargain. She'd married him because he'd promised to keep her safe. In return for this life, she gave up all control. She hadn't had a drink in 20 years, hadn't used in 26. Had she been happy with Clark? She'd never even thought about it. Happiness wasn't part of the deal. Living with Clark was like living with lightning. She'd accepted his power because she wanted to survive. Ember had no idea where their tax returns were, which bills must be paid, how much they had in their bank accounts. She discovered that as far as the world was concerned, she didn't exist. Maybe she didn't. Nothing had her name on it, not even the title to Sabrina, though she'd worked as hard as him, more so when his eyesight began to fail and he lost his trucker's license. Quickly, her days and nights tangled up. The proceeds from his life insurance, $100,000, vanished in less than six months. That was Clark's second betrayal. He'd promised her the life insurance would be enough. Plenty, he'd said. She blamed the mortuary, Sabrina, the debt on their truck, her sudden urgent need for vodka and various pills. There came a black period of which she remembered nothing except being ordered to leave the lake and then the state. Not only that, you never paid to fix my teeth, Ember said to Clark as she took another can of beer from the refrigerator, bastard. She slammed the fridge door shut. He was helpless to stop her drinking now and a good thing too. Others might ascend to heaven, but Clark remained right here, reincarnated as a demon frog inside Sabrina, well, not exactly a frog, but how else to describe his new form, the way he jumped about, his bossy green insistent pulsing, his neon eyes flashing at her from the narrow counter of the kitchenette. Keep driving, Demon Clark commanded, and the motorhome shook. As always, Ember obeyed. She drove Sabrina west from Oklahoma, aiming toward Washington State, where her aunt lived, averaging six fucking miles per gallon. Through desert glare that burned her eyes, up and over twisted mountain highways, crossing river after river, alpine meadows, boulders as large as the Winnebago, and always a line of cars honking behind them. God damn, is this what you wanted, she said to Clark. She had to do everything now, including all the talking alive Clark had not been able to shut up there'd been times when she'd prayed for his silence now he just blinked green cryptic cruel pushing her on across the bleak Oregon desert and through dark forests of ponderosa pine the wood smelled sweet almost like vanilla what about here she asked breathed in the cool fragrant air She thought they could live in one of the little logging towns, as empty as cupboards in a fairy tale. She could get a job driving a logging truck. Frantic green hops along the dashboard. The horn blared and didn't stop until she put her foot back on the gas. The Ocean. Ember felt something in her lift and settle when she saw the coast. The blue waves turned yellow white as they slapped the cliffs. The rocks were black, the sand coarse gold. Sabrina wobbled along the twisted coastal highway and Ember pulled over when she could to let cars pass. They'd gone as far west as they could go. God, she was thirsty. At the convenience store where she went to get a six pack and potato chips, she met a blue eyed man lingering outside. He smiled, a crinkled, faintly calculating smile. Need any help with that six pack? Why not? She was lonely. Maybe a real man or a live one at least was what she needed. Jolt some sense into her. A small explosion, a puff of sulfur and then clarity. At last, she would know what to think. She would know what to do next. Jimbo bounced as he walked, his long arms and legs swimming through the foggy air. I can tell you're a discerning woman. He cast an admiring glance at Ember's bare shoulders. And healthy. She wore sleeveless tops all the time now because she never knew when a hot flash would hit physically maybe, she said. Jimbo grinned. He had worse teeth than she did, though they didn't seem to bother him. He didn't hide them behind a hand or smile with his lips closed. He was happy to be out of prison after unjust convictions, the system against him, on parole, back in his good old hometown. Drugs, not murder, he said, in case you were wondering. I'll stop there, thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Rosaline. Thank you for listening to the New Rivers Press podcast. Follow us on all social media platforms at New Rivers Press and visit our website, newriverspress.com.